Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Good morning, everybody. It is the Truth Hurts Program, and I am Steve Z. Today is Hump Day, Wednesday, March 31st, the last day of the third month in the Gropey Joe and Camel Toe administration. We've got a whole lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it. The Biden administration has quietly extended a very disastrous COVID-19 pandemic policy. One of the biggest government power grabs that we've seen over the last year has largely flown under the radar. The CDC, better known as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's unilateral move at the beginning of the pandemic to mostly prohibit evictions nationwide, is gathering some attention finally. Now, you might have even missed the news, but this unprecedented eviction moratorium just got extended further by the gropey Joe Biden administration. The National Review reports, The CDC has just announced that it is extending its nationwide eviction moratorium through June. The original CDC eviction moratorium from September made it a crime punishable by one year imprisonment and a fine of up to $250,000 to evict certain tenants for non-payment of rent. Here's my question. Since when does the Centers for Disease Control have any authority to perform this criminal act? Since when does the CDC, an agency that's supposed to look at viruses, have any authority to tell you that you can't evict a tenant for breaching a contract like a lease? Leases are binding contracts, which often contain eviction language. The CDC should have absolutely no authority to walk in and breach a contract. It's like the CDC saying tomorrow, well, because there's a flu going around, anyone who wants to walk into a grocery store and steal chicken soup and steal anything they want can just do so. They can't, they don't have that authority. In fact, the constitutional and legal soundness of this nationwide mandate by unelected bureaucrats is highly dubious at best and most likely illegal as hell. At the very least, it is extreme overreach by an agency that has no authority to do so. I understand the altruistic nature of the CDC saying, hey, you shouldn't be kicking people out on the streets in the middle of a pandemic. Some people have lost their jobs, but that's not their purview. That's not their mandate. The CDC had originally hoped to address a real potential problem, which is millions of people having to struggle to pay their rent because they were out of work due to lockdowns and restrictions. And the government understandably did not want to see millions of people evicted from their homes. But the way they chose to respond is simply bizarre. By declaring evictions illegal, the government essentially made the collection of rent impossible. It's as if the CDC just ruled that anybody could go into the grocery store, fill up their cart, and walk out without paying. And it's left millions of landlords, many of whom are working class or middle class people, in a very precarious mess. If those landlords can't collect rent payments, their property being occupied by non-paying tenants in many cases, and there's a moratorium on evicting them, there's no break for the landlords to have to make their mortgage payments on those rental properties. What happened here is the feds basically seized people's property without compensation 
and turned the rental market completely upside down. While this unlawful moratorium is in place, many landlords are not renting out empty apartments because it's too risky since they're unable to ensure collection of rent. They would rather have no tenant in their apartment or their house. They'd rather the home be empty because risking not getting paid in, and risking damage to their property from non-paying tenants who already don't take care of property for the most part is far, far better for them to leave that place empty. According to the American Federation of Independent Rental Property Owners, it is far better to have no tenant than have unpaying tenants because landlords in most cases cover utilities. There's also the whole insurance thing. Meanwhile, whenever the eviction moratorium is finally allowed to lapse, if ever, renters who have used it will face mountains of enormous bills for unpaid rent, likely calling for some massive government taxpayer-funded bailout. Now, who could have predicted that? The CDC has created an enormous mess, a ticking time bomb that's wreaking havoc now, but will explode whenever it's eventually allowed to expire. And guess what? It's all for nothing, because there's little reason to believe that the eviction moratorium has actually slowed the spread of COVID-19, and renters facing eviction due to lost work would have already received supercharged unemployment benefits, as well as government bailouts in the form of so-called stimulus money, not to mention federal programs which enable them to pay their rent. The root source of the problem was the government restrictions banning people from making a living to begin with. The government created this crisis and now they're prolonging the crisis. They could have solved the entire issue a long time ago by simply letting people go back to work. But instead, the gropey Joe Biden let's make everything socialist administration is dodging the issue now by kicking the can down the road to the end of June. Eventually, the bill on the CDC's disastrous eviction moratorium will come due. In the meantime, working class and middle class landlords across the country will continue to suffer the consequences. Say, Pookie, do you get your unemployment check yet? Yeah, and they added $400 on top of the normal amount. Hell, I'm getting more money now on unemployment than I was by working. Yeah, you're right. Did you get your stimulus check? Check? You mean checks? I got those two from Trump, and now I'm getting one from buy-in. You gonna pay your rent this month? Hell no. I ain't paid the rent since last March, you heard? I sure ain't gonna pay it now. I hear you. What if they drop the eviction moratorium? You gonna have to pay all that money for back rent, right? I don't know about all that. The news gonna tell us when they finna stop the moratorium. I just move out a couple of weeks ahead of that. They won't be able to find me and try and collect. And if buy-in comes up with a plan to pay the back rent for the landlords, I'm gonna jump up on that too. You always got a scam, don't you? You know that's right. I got to stay one step ahead of the man. Have you noticed the double standard when it comes to Hollywood? Oh yes, they were quick to jump all over Brett Kavanaugh when he was being selected as a Supreme Court Justice for his supposed sexual harassment. But they aren't so violent in their reactions to Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. There's another double standard that goes on with Hollywood. You gotta ask, why is Hollywood not pulling out of the state of Georgia despite the so-called restrictive voting laws that they just passed? 
there's a double standard. And of course, money. After Georgia lawmakers signed the new voting measures into law last week, Hollywood filmmakers and actors have been weighing whether or not to continue shooting projects in Georgia or to simply boycott the state that is home to dozens of entertainment productions. Hollywood South used to be located in New Orleans, but the greedy Democrat governor of Louisiana, along with the greedy Democrat mayor of New Orleans, imposed so many fees and restrictions and taxes upon the film industry that they said, screw you, and they went on over to Georgia, where the non-union environment, lower cost of land, therefore lower cost of studio productions, moved lots and lots of productions away from the very restrictive California Hollywood market. Filmmakers based in a state, such as Tyler Perry, say that it's important for Hollywood to have some perspective. You see, Tyler Perry has invested millions and millions of dollars of his own money into his studios in Georgia. And since he's almost white now, he thinks it might be a little premature to start pulling production for so-called racist restrictive voting practices in the Peach State. Filmmakers and actors in Georgia have asked their West Coast counterparts to please reconsider pulling their productions from the Peach State as protest. A prospect that was raised after Jim Mangold, who shot parts of the Ford vs. Ferrari film in Georgia, took to Twitter last Thursday to say he will not direct any further films in a state like Georgia after they passed a new 100-page law that has been widely derided for requiring voters to show their driver's license or state ID. Oh, heaven forbid! But they'll be all about you having to show a vaccination ID before you go into a theater, right? And of course, the leftist liberal progressive director would be upset because it restricts ballot drop boxes and criminalizes the act of handing out water and fried chicken to people waiting in line. Listen, people, there is no voter suppression involved in the new Georgia law. It's a dog whistle phrase designed to agitate and irritate Democrats because a Republican proposed the legislation that actually, when you read it, increases the opportunities for voting in the land of the Dukes of Hazard, And most productions already filming there, or ones that are already lined up to start soon, they probably won't pull out of Georgia due to the sheer cost associated with relocating a production. You see, my friends, it's only about one color to Hollywood. Green. It's all about the Benjamins. I guess for actor-slash-director-slash-producers like Tyler Perry, the next movie title might be It's alright, Georgia ain't that racist as long as we make him paper. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program A top U.S. border official said yesterday that he expects more than one million illegal immigrants will be arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border this year, and that's a sign of a growing humanitarian crisis for gropey Joe Biden and Camel Toe Harris, to whom he has passed off the responsibility. The Border Patrol arrested about 100,000 migrants in February alone. And that is the largest number since the middle of 2019 when the Democrats invited them all to come up and crash the border in protest of Donald Trump's proposed border wall. More migrants typically cross between April and June, and this is historic 
over time. Raul Artez is the deputy chief of the U.S. Border Patrol. He told reporters, we're already starting to see higher days of 6,000 plus apprehensions, so I fully expect our Border Patrol agents to encounter well over a million people in 2021. The Gropy Joe administration has allowed a few reporters to interview a couple of selected border officials, and they allowed them to tour a crowded migrant processing facility in Donna, Texas, after weeks and weeks of moving people out so that it wasn't nearly as overcrowded as the four times capacity crowd that reporters were allowed to see. The Donna facility this week, while the reporters were allowed in, was holding 4,100 migrants, many of whom are cheering without their parents. And guess what? That is a far, far drop from the estimated 16,000 people that were at that facility just three short weeks ago. Hypocrites who said there were way too many unaccompanied children being detained in cages under Donald Trump are now allowing at least four times as many to crowd in like sardines. But they're not calling them cages now. They put a plastic liner in them and they're calling them pods. They're still cages. More than 2,000 unaccompanied migrant children have been held there for longer than the legal limit of 72 hours, according to Border Patrol official Oscar Escamilla. Of those, 39 children had been stuck in a tent facility for more than 15 days as they wait placement in a shelter overseen by that freak at the Department of Health and Human Services. Tens of thousands of Central American and Mexican migrants have trekked to the U.S.-Mexico border in just the past few months. The increase is driven by a rolled-out welcome mat with Gropey Joe's picture on it. They're claiming it is economic conditions in their home countries, the devastating effects of hurricanes last year, and hope that they will simply be allowed to remain in the U.S., because they were told that gropey Joe Biden will reverse some of Trump's restrictive immigration policies. And as I said, those so-called cages that were built under the Obama-Biden administration, they've quietly lined them with clear plastic, and now they're calling them pods. How quaint. It's like telling a prisoner in prison that his prison cell is now called a confinement apartment space. A rose is a rose right? Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. A Philadelphia man was making a video about the city's gun violence. And guess what? He was shot to death while filming. Anthony Mariette, age 55, was shot while he was getting equipment from his van Monday night as he was interviewing family members of gun violence victims. He was working for a production company that makes anti-violence videos to stream on Netflix. Police said Mariette was shot multiple times throughout his body. He was transported to the hospital where he was pronounced dead, but it was most likely he was dead on the street before they ever picked him up. Officers have not made any arrests and have not recovered any weapons yet. Now, Mr. Mariette's death is Philadelphia's 119th homicide of 2021. And remember, folks, today is the last day of only the third month. If you do the math, the year-end total would be somewhere around 476, depending, of course, on whether or not more violence is ushered in under the Biden administration. 
There's a sharp uptick in homicides this year compared to previous years. For example, at the same point a year ago, there were only 93 instead of 119. That means homicides have increased by 28% when compared with the 2020 figures. Philadelphia's City Council's Special Committee on Gun Violence Prevention held a public hearing yesterday, scheduled before Mr. Marriott's death, to work on the city's plan to address the escalating murder rate. City Councilman Kenyatta Johnson called violence in the city a plague. And he said, as an elected official and as a father of two African-American young men, this is totally unacceptable. But don't you dare ask anyone how many of the killers were black. How many of the murderous thugs in that city are black? For you would be called a racist. And in Philly, you might get shot to death. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Newsflash. Most capital rioters will likely not do jail time. That's correct. You heard me right. Many of those who invaded the halls of Congress on January 6th are likely to get little to no jail time. Guess what? Neither will the so-called peaceful protesters in Portland, Seattle, and other cities. Of course, there was no big story to tell you about those rioters getting off with a slap on the wrist. While media and public attention in the past few weeks has focused on the high-profile conspiracy cases lodged against right-wing paramilitary groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, and while public and media attention in the past few weeks has largely ignored BLM, Antifa, NFAC, and other people on the left who were involved in those riots, the most urgent decisions for prosecutors involve resolution of scores of lower-level cases which are now clogging the District of Columbia's Federal District Court. An analysis of the Capitol riot-related cases shows that almost a quarter of the more than 230 defendants formally and publicly charged so far will only face misdemeanors. Well, duh! They weren't out there attacking people. They weren't out there committing assault and battery. They weren't burning anything to the ground. They simply walked around the halls of Congress. They did a walking tour. Dozens of those arrested are awaiting formal charges, even as new cases are being unsealed almost every day. An analysis of the Capitol riot-related cases shows that almost a quarter of the more than 230 defendants will only face misdemeanors, which will not carry jail time. Now, although prosecutors have loaded up their charging documents with language about the existential threat to the Republic, the actions of many of the individual rioters often boil down to simple trespassing. And when those go before a judge and the law is properly applied, unless those people were officially trespassed, there's really no crime at all. Unless those individuals destroyed property or assaulted people or did something threatening, they were just simply walking around the people's house. Judges have had to wrestle with how aggressively to lump those cases in with the very few more sinister suspects. You know, those who actually broke a few windows. Those who actually, oh God, tipped over a credenza. In other words, because of Democrat rhetoric, because of the major over-reporting, over-hyping, over-exaggerating 
of these mostly peaceful protests simply walking through the Capitol building, judges will have to face the reality, the fact that most of those people inside that building at that time on January 6th were either escorted inside by Capitol Police, as many videotaped accounts show, or they were not met with any official call to leave. They were indeed tourists who got a little rowdy, scattered some paper, flipped over a filing cabinet and a chair, and one of them had the audacity to sit in the chair of nasty Nancy Pelosi, a place where her depends may have been leaking for years. You might want to have yourself checked out there, buddy. There was no violence there. The only violence I saw was the few people banging on windows and doors trying to get into the Capitol. Remember, only one person was killed. You may not recall her name, but I do. Ashley Babbitt, a retired Air Force veteran, an unarmed woman who was killed in cold blood by a cowardly Capitol cop. There was no violence, at least anywhere near the scope and magnitude of those riots in Seattle, Portland, and those other cities. Now, some protests involved some criminal acts. Yes, breaking a window, damaging a filing cabinet. But as long as the people who are trying to express their view do not engage in actual violence, major property destruction, assault, misdemeanors will likely be more appropriate than felonies. The prospect of dozens of January 6th rioters cutting deals for minor sentences could be hard to explain for the Gropey Joe administration because they characterized the Capitol Hill mob as a uniquely dangerous threat. Before assuming office, Biden actually said, the rioters' attempts to overturn the election results by force borders on sedition. It's, of course, an exaggerated, overhyped talking point that was written for him on a teleprompter. Justice Department prosecutors sent expectations sky high in their early statements in court filings, describing elaborate plots to murder lawmakers. And those descriptions that prosecutors made then have now had to be tempered, watered down, and diluted as actual facts, details, and evidence have emerged. Not one single solitary member of Congress, not one senator, not the vice president, not one of them was in any danger of being assaulted, much less murdered. They were not there where those people walked down the halls. Most, like the crybaby, whining, lying little bitch Alexandria Ocasio Horseface Cortez, claiming she feared for her life in the halls of Congress were not even in the building during the time that the protesters entered. And of course, the Blafrican-American AA 13% hyphenated American minority crowd is crying foul racism and inequality because the resolution of the more mundane cases in this incident will present acute questions about equity since most of the Capitol riot defendants turned out to be white people. And the AA community seems to think that black people are treated different under misdemeanor charges than white people are. While violent assaults on the Capitol are extremely rare, protests and acts of civil disobedience, such as disrupting congressional hearings or even disrupting the House and Senate floor sessions, are far more common and have been perpetrated 
over the years, much more often by leftists, progressives, socialists, Democrats, and minorities than by good old boys, you know, white people. That means prosecutors and judges will have to weigh how much more punishment a Trump supporter who invaded the Capitol during the Electoral College count deserves than, say, an anti-war protester chanting at a CIA confirmation hearing, or a gun control advocate shouting in the middle of the State of the Union address, or a bunch of black this or black that screaming out that a new law might be racist. Those disruptions are just about the same. Just a bunch of people shouting, no one getting killed, no one getting assaulted, no burning, no looting, just a misdemeanor. Prosecutors have signaled that plea offer deals for some defendants will be coming within days. And they've readily acknowledged that some of the cases are much less complicated to resolve than others. The Justice Department under Biden will soon be in the awkward position of having to defend those deals, even as trials and lengthy sentences for those facing more serious charges could be at least a year or more away. Prosecutors are facing pressure from judges to either back up their tough talk about sedition or put a lid on it. It's likely that as the misdemeanor cases prove to be the minor things they actually are, it will be impossible to continue to paint this 99.9% .9 peaceful rally for the former president as anything but mostly peaceful. And of course, further complicating the prosecutors being able to claim that this was a horrendous act is the fact that Democrats and their mislabeling of the so-called peaceful protests, which were actually violent riots in Portland and Seattle, have actually laid the groundwork for labeling this as not sedition, as not an attempted coup, but simply a peaceful protest. A standard set of four misdemeanor charges have been filed in dozens of those capital cases, and they carry a maximum possible punishment of three years in prison. But that sentence or anything close to it is virtually unheard of in misdemeanor cases. Lower level capital riot defendants scored a significant victory last Friday when a federal appeals court said judges need to sort out the most serious, the most violent offenses from those who simply walked in amidst the chaos. In virtually every one of the non-felony cases, the charges are likely to be grouped together as simple trespassing under federal sentencing guidelines. While those guidelines contain small enhancements for entering restricted building or grounds, defendants with no significant criminal history are looking at the lowest possible sentencing range, zero to six months, with zero meaning no jail time at all. And that's the way it should be. And for many that were held for days and days, will probably be already time served. So you see, boys and girls, the prosecutorial double standards set by those Portland and Seattle riots must apply in the capital cases. Don't you just love it when their own crap hits the fan and the fan is facing back at them? Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Drivers, drivers, drivers! This Saturday night, under the lights at the all-new Ivanka Motors Mega Maxi Truck Center, you can be one of the first people in America to witness the all-new 2022 Kingfish Guzzler 350 pickup truck. 
This bad boy comes stock from the factory with 48-inch alloy wheels, Mudmaster, Mudder 8500 series tires, four-wheel drive, 12-speed military-grade transmission, 411 gearing, 28-inch lift, hydraulic bed, and the awesome new 12-cylinder triple-turbo diesel annihilator high-torque motor. The all-new Kingfish Guzzler 350 truck features 1,250 horsepower and a whopping 999 pound-feet of torque. Towing? Not a problem. The beast of the road can tow up to 38,000 pounds of whatever the hell you want. Built-in twin radar and laser detectors front and rear, a police scanner, deep tinted windows, and the ability to roll coal for three entire city blocks. This truck is just what real men want and what America needs. Lesbians are also invited. Best of all, this bad boy gets an incredible seven miles to the gallon on the highway, four in the city, and who gives a damn when you're off-road? The all-new for 22 Kingfish Guzzler 350 from Ivanka Motors. Drive one today and be the king of the road. Hola Pancho, why for you are running so fast? The border patrol policeman is so gordo, so fat, so you can easily outrun him. Si Pepe, I know that the border patrol man is mucho fat, mucho gordo. So Pancho, why for you are running so fast? Surely you can outrun the fat border patrol policeman? Oh Pepe, I no have to worry about run faster than el gordo policeman. I only have worry about run faster than Jew. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this morning's edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts Program Network. All rights reserved. <laughs>